Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 395, is recorded live January 31st, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the frigid side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm very well and thawed out pretty much. Excellent. And we also have, joining us this week, we have Dave Tonneman. How are you doing today, Dave? Warming up slowly. Yeah, so uh, the, the news of the, of the week for everybody is that we have the polar vortex in full swing. This morning when I got up, it said negative 20 Fahrenheit. I don't think we had the wind chill they were calling for because it didn't, you know, they were at one point said it could be negative 50, and I I think it was more negative 30 at most. What are your thoughts, Matt? It does not take long to freeze your ass out there. No. Negative 30, negative 30, negative 50. It's all ish. Yeah. Yeah. Usually yeah. when it, when it starts getting below, you know, it's in the single digits. It's like sound outside just changes. Oh yeah. I was breathing outside and my breath was going down. <laughs> well, I was hoping to get out, maybe do a little flying so I could see what the uh, lake looks like. Mm-hmm. Because when it's cold like this, that airplane flies like a homesick angel. <laughs> well, the density altitude, the air is so thick when it's heavy or when it's cold like that. Um, uh-huh. It just it just flies really great. Unless you get a little wind. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. As as those who t- tuned into the chat room last last week found out, I was traveling, and I flew over Lake Michigan on uh, on Friday of last week, and we came you know to to go to Midway. And there, it looked like it, if it wasn't solid, it was a nice packed ice pack. And that's in a period of 10 days because I was yeah. flying the other day and you had maybe 100 yards of ice protecting the beach and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was, I couldn't, and I don't know how far out over the lake the plane flew, but I did not see any open water anywhere. It was all... It looked like little chunks of ice kind of pieced together. Ball ice. Yeah, I was watching the icebreaker today go through the uh, inland, inland canals and little rivers there in Chicago. That was quite interesting. Not sure why, since there's not a lot of work barges working right now. Yeah. It, maybe just uh, protective. I mean, do they, do they count on uh, being able to get fireboats and stuff in? Never thought of that. That just might be why. Yeah. You know, some, something with their safety plans, I I would think, or you got to let the sewage get out. Isn't that it? You know, break the ice <laughs> for the sewage. I know I did one thing today I haven't done in years. What's that? I went out and made a mixture, soap, water, glycerin, and stuff. And 
went outside to blow bubbles <laughs> oh, <laughs> to see if I could make them freeze before they'd hit. Oh, did, did it work? I had too much wind. It was uh, breezy. Oh. But I tried it in the garage where it's uh, only zero. And only you can blow the, the bubble out, and it'll almost hang right there in front of you. And then when it pops, the glycerin mm-hmm. and stuff that was inside of it trickles down. So you don't want to do that in your house, especially if you oh. put watercolor in it, food color. Oh, yeah. Because it'll stain yeah. stuff. So I tried doing some video, and it was, it was a little funny. But I hadn't done that for years. And if you've never done it, go for it. It's along lines with the old boiling water and throw it in the air. Well, yeah, if I thought those, of it, I'd have done it. I've seen those where the you know they said the coffee freezes so quick. I haven't tried that one yet. I've never had coffee last that long in a cup. That was my point. Unless they just take it out to see how long it takes free well, solid. The, they were saying that in uh, social media, the big thing is uh, taking boiling water mm-hmm. and then throwing it up into the air. And it that works. Something about the, yeah, that it it comes down. I haven't watched any of them or searched them out, but. Uh, well, yeah, if it's really freezing well. tomorrow, I'll try that. But I don't think that's really going to, unless you really diffused it into smaller droplets, I don't think that's going to do Oh, it does. You, you have to throw it in the air. And they said there's something about that. It's so hot. You know, it kind of goes through a couple states. It kind of um, turns to vapor. And then the energy is released when it's changing the states. And then it goes, they can skip all the way back to frozen. So well, I'm going to have to do that tomorrow. That's for sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll be looking for the report. <laughs> I'll get my wife to video. it. Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, jump right on into news. Want to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Eric and Derek and Ryan. So uh got to turn out. Yeah. You got the diehards. Yeah. Yeah, January. I mean, that that's when you talk about diving in January, that's who you're left with is the diehards, at least in the northern hemisphere. And you know what's really good? Ryan is a breather guy, so this first article Ooh. is right up his alley. Yeah. So they're, what they're doing is they're, this one's from the newscientist.com. They're saying that scuba diving gear could help clean up carbon dioxide from power plants. So first thing comes to mind is that we're going to put a bunch of tanks out there and start clean it up and it said uh, most plans for tackling climate change involve some sort of trapping carbon dioxide and locking in a new locking it away a new method draws inspiration from scuba diving equipment rebreathers allow scuba divers to stay underwater for hours they use substance called soda lime to filter the exhaled air converting co2 into solid calcium carbonate so that the air can then be recycled instead of soda lime the new approach is a naturally occurring compound called uh, guanidine I think is how I would pronounce that, which similarly relaxes with CO2, reacts with CO2 in a solid form. Heating the compound releases CO2 so it can be stored. This process occurs at lower temperatures than it does for soda lime, reducing the amount of energy required. Dissolving it in water afterwards allows it for uh, it to be recycled for reuse. It is a simpler way to reduce CO2 emissions released by coal-burning power plants, said Radu Kustasian. At Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the process is a 24% more energy efficient than current methods. In small-scale tests, 
The method removed 99% of the CO2 from exhaust gas. One of the processes optimized, the team will try scaling to capture a ton of CO2 per day. Currently, CO2 absorbers remain in liquid form after they have captured the gas, meaning the release releasing the CO2 requires a significant amount of energy. In a new method, CO2 is released from bicarbonate crystals, which also avoids evaporation degradation of the absorber over time. Uh, technologies that remove CO2 from the atmosphere are increasingly considered necessary for reducing greenhouse gas emissions to net zero. Globally, only one very small portion of the carbon dioxide from coal-burning plants is currently captured. The new method is a useful step in making CO2 separation more affordable. What remains to be uh, trialed is whether the compound can withstand the mix of contaminants other than CO2 and power plant emissions and how the integrity and performance of the molecule survives many hundreds of heating and cooling cycles with their current focus on removing CO2 from power station emissions. Uh, he says the method can also be used to capture direct air, in other words, sucking CO2 straight out of the air. They're currently testing how well the approach will work for us. Its success would provide the most energy-efficient direct air capture method to date. My question on this would be, so you're capturing well, it. Well, my first takeaway is... Go ahead. My first takeaway is we can substitute bat poo for softener lime because guanidine is bat poo. It's a derivative from bat crap. And it has the same performance characteristics as softener lime and soda limes. And they're, they're easy to dispose of. I don't, I don't know that there's any impact from the disposal of the scrubber elements. Mm-hmm. But they're saying that, that guanidine is as good as the soda limes for extracting carbon dioxide. Well, could you bypass a middleman and just put a bat in your regulator? We could try it. I could probably volunteer. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering uh, what happens? So you you so you're pulling the CO two out of the stacks. It's being absorbed by the sodium calcium carbonate, which they can release uh, by heating. But what do you do with it at that point? I mean, are they capturing that CO two and then, you know, well injecting it or something? Well, the CO two ends up adsorbing to the compounds in the scrubber. And you dispose of it as a solid material that now has the CO2 captured in that material. So instead of putting it in the air, we're going to put it in the ground, which it'll eventually reach out. Is it really a true effect? Or is it touchy-feely? It would have to depend how much it, how much it, it leaked out. Uh, yeah. We'll, ha- we'll have to see how well how well it works out. Interesting. So, I mean, do as scuba divers, can we take credit for that? Well, hell yeah. I don't see why not. At least it's an effort towards reducing CO2 emissions from utilizing technology derived from scuba diving. So there needs to be more grant money available to research scuba diving stuff because it has a greater impact. Yeah, they can send me some grant money. I'll, you know, you give me some grant money. I'll, I'll use it to dive. We'll get you a breather. 
and you can research it. Just looking that word up, I thought that was uh, bat guana, but it isn't. It's a compound, formula HNC with uh, nitrogen, hydrogen, two. Two. It says colorless solid dissolved in polar solvents. Song based. It's a strong base used in the production of plastics explosives. It's also found in urine as a normal product of protein metabolism. Okay. I was looking for the bat rest reference and I couldn't find it, so that's that's why I looked it up. Well, the original the original source of guanidine because we used it, nitroguanidine was an explosive that we used based upon bat guano, bat poo. So that was my uh, uh, my reference for that. Ryan's pointing out that the re- the result from the scrubber converting the CO2 is carbonic acid. And evidently it, it has some effect on proteins. So no matter what, when, when we transmogrify matter and we develop a chemical from other chemicals, matter can't be destroyed. It just has to change. And in the end, are we really having that great of an impact compared to a volcano? Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's another podcast. I forgot. Well, this next article we have, this is how, how's this for a photo opportunity? It says the Coast Guard sent scuba divers under alien, alien, ailing icebreaker in Antarctica. And that's not all that went wrong. And the only reason I covered it is mostly for the photo. If you look at those divers, uh, that's a great photo op. Uh, they said America's only operational heavy icebreaker, the Polar Star, reached McMurdo Station in Antarctica earlier this week, breaking through ice as thick as 21 feet along the way to clear a path for a cargo vessel to resupply Antarctica's operations. This marks the sixth voyage in as many years for the Polar Star, but the voyage wasn't without some serious setbacks for the aging ship. The 150 Coast Guard men aboard the Polar Star may have had concerns about their missed paycheck during the voyage, but it was hardly time to lament personal finance, finance concerns amid the n- number of serious issues plaguing the vessel. At one point, the ship's 1970s-era electrical system began to smoke, which caused damage to other wiring and one of the ship's electrical switchboards. Soon, one of the two evaporators used to produce potable water for the crew failed. Then a leak around the icebreaker's propeller sh- shaft stopped the ship in its tracks, forcing the vessel to deploy scuba divers repair the seal as it took on water. <coughs> Problems didn't stop there. Soon, shipwide power outages began tormenting the vessel's crew, forcing them to stop icebreaking operations and conduct a nine-hour reboot of all systems in hopes it might get the vessel operating again. Things are so difficult that even the Coast Guard's own press release, which is notably upbeat about the trouble view, includes a mention that if the Polar Star hadn't been able to right itself, America would have no means of sending a ship to its aid. And then uh, uh, they they go on and on, and there's quite a few uh, political references in it. Uh, they're a little upset that they uh, haven't been funded for new icebergs. There's supposedly one on the books that's at risk. And they said, by contrast, Russia currently has 40 icebreakers, several of which are nuclear-powered. A lot of that is because they don't have the same access we do. They have to make do with what they've got. And it happens to be in a colder region. 
Yeah, if they had San Diego, would they need to worry? Yeah, they're all, they've got a lot of iced in ports, so it's just basic economics for them. Uh, but you're all right. That photo is absolutely gorgeous. I'd like to know how they repaired a shaft seal. I would, too. And, Mac, can you imagine how they repaired a shaft seal? Did they pull the prop off and <laughs> pull the seal and drive a new seal? <laughs> Uh, that looks like a dry dock work. If you're going to go and do that, I don't think you're putting seal on. Is that, is they that might have had like, a couple of cans of that rubber seal and you just oh, squirt that in there. Seal? I hear, I hear you can float a boat with that stuff. So yeah, <laughs> well, flex seal, spray it in there. <laughs> Maybe they just did it like the old timers did. They take this, some, uh, some rope, wrap it around there and drive it in, kind of caulk it up. That does not look like a fun job there. Well, it kind of looks like it. You see where it looks like the tether wraps around? Uh-huh. And the reality is, how many icebergs do we really need? We tend to, everybody I know that's gone to McMurdo has gone down there by aircraft. Yeah, it's not normally a boat trip, I wouldn't think. There's a group at the University that rotates through, and they all fly in on C-130s. Still cool. I mean, that's, yeah, they, that's incredible visibility. I'm kind of jealous. Oh, yeah, I got some great vis there. Uh, I imagine that they don't necessarily have to come in with a, a vessel all the time. It's probably for the heavier, bulky items that just aren't economical to do through a plane. In fact, the photo that they're showing there, was from the last time it came through, and that was January 15th, 2017. And then here we have an article out of Illinois. They say they have a diving duo that uh, could potentially set world records in scuba diving. Um, they said, we've all glanced at uh, through Guinness Book World Records at some point and amazed at what's in there very per soon, perhaps. Two Rockford, Illinois residents will be in there for what they're about to do. Luffs Park Scuba and Snorkel is where you'll find 98-year-old Bill Lambert of Rockford and four-year-old Jackson Bosselman of Rockford. They don't know each other. They didn't know each other until a few months ago. Until February 11th, they could go down in history as the oldest and youngest scuba divers ever. I met Bill about two months ago, said Dan Johnson, the owner of the Love Park Scuba. He came over and wanted to try scuba diving. He tried it out and really liked it. I asked him how old he was. The current Guinness record for the oldest diver is 95. So how does Lambert feel about possibly setting a world record? That's wonderful. That's something I'd never dreamed of. The record for the youngest scuba diver ever is unknown. So at age four, Bosselman will no doubt set that. And that's the article. I, it's not me. Uh, his story is an amazing one. He has autism. He's been diving for more than a year in the pool here. Diving has helped him with his speech, his eating, and his attitude. It's the pressure and amount of oxygen he receives. He's getting more oxygen with the enriched oxygen that's in the nitrox, says his mother, Marcia Castillo. He's been benefiting. Now he's talking. He's eating. He's a totally different child. This pair will make a record diving attempt in the coast off Cozumel, Mexico, the ideal location because there's an underwater marine sanctuary there. Marine life is plentiful, and they're diver-friendly, says Johnson. Lambert has seen a lot in 98 years, but nothing like he'll see on this adventure. I think 
that will be great. I want to see as much of them marine wildlife as I can. I've contacted Guinness. They gave us the rules of engagement, said Johnson. What we need to do, we need to photo it. Uh, they need to do four dives 15 feet deep for a minimum of 20 minutes each dive. Until now, Lambert and Bosselman have done all their diving in the pool for an hour or two a day, several days a week training. Neither has been in the ocean. If they can pull off the record attempt, it might make the Guinness record that it will never be broken. There's a 94-year difference between the two of them. That's going to be a tough one for anyone to beat. Bosselman's mother is a certified scuba diver. She'll be diving with her son during his record attempt in Mexico. Love Park Scuba sponsoring the record attempt. Johnson has a program he calls Nitrox Scuba for Autism. He works with about 25 kids with autism, helping them have a better life through scuba diving. Wow. When I saw four years old, I was thinking that is like ridiculously young. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the part, why are you doing nitrox in a swimming pool? You might as well go straight O2. With a four-year-old. You might as well do With a four-year-old. Go straight O2 if you're going to do that. If it's, ad, if it's beneficial. Beneficial, yes. They should be in a hyperbaric chamber doing that in a safer environment than underwater. Just my opinion on that one. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I, I'm completely out of my league here, but, I mean, the age concerns me. Uh, I mean, it may be beneficial for autism, but like you said, why is it nitrox? Why isn't just pure oxygen better? So it seems like they could dial something in. Uh, I think with autism, uh, it could be the the physical pressure and contact of the water could have a beneficial, you know, uh, effect with stimulation. But at what point? But what, who, you know, whose attorney is willing to back that up? I don't know. You got you know the the kid's mom is in there. Who who's the agency? Who's approving yeah. a, a four-year-old? I mean, that can't be. I mean, from a a dive shop standpoint, well, is there even a program? Bubble blowers is what well, probably the, six. There is no, there is no program that covers a four-year-old period. That I, I don't get me wrong. I en, I enjoy the fact that there, you know, you, you have somebody who's ninety-eight who's getting into diving. You have somebody that's four getting into diving. That's awesome. But can a four-year-old even comprehend how to do what's, what is needed to live through being underwater? I, I can't I mean, it, it. it's. No. <laughs> I don't. Stay tuned to this channel for further updates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the key item there is the youngest I've seen used in the industry is eight years old. And that is for the SNUBA, the surface air supplied. You've seen that. They have programs for that, especially in uh, California and down in the southern climates. Mm-hmm. And they will they don't certify, but they will take you out. Maximum depth is 15 feet, and that's breathing off of a, basically a hook. Yeah. But they'll do it down to, I think it is, eight years old. And and I would agree with that. Is cutting it close. Yeah, I would agree with that. With that depth, I would say you know no more than fifteen feet. You want a solid bottom where there's no chance to go deeper, and you really want two divers on the on the kid. I mean, I can't. 
So let's go to Cozumel and get into the currents and do a drift dive with a four-year-old and a 98-year-old. <laughs> is, business that, is, that, is business that tough in Chicago right now? I mean, God bless them. I hope everything goes well. But that's got to be a logistical nightmare. That's that's worse than taking free divers ice diving. It says he's got twenty five <laughs> kids. I w- I would wonder what the ages are because you know I I think there's therapeutic benefits for diving for people of all ages. But at at what point is it just too young? The rest? almost certainly. Yeah. Now we've we've done this with a handicapped up north at the other events. Mm-hmm. Never anybody this young. We've done quadriplegics. We've done all sorts of issues, but they're controlled very well. They've got two people with them at the minimum at all times, depending on what the the problem is. Sometimes three people or one individual. So even mom with her child, you know, in a pool is one thing, but Mm -hmm. where are they going to be doing this 15 feet for four dives, open water? There's always a way. Adaptive diving is great. There's always a way to take anybody diving. Yeah. It's just the team that's required to support that person because they're not capable of supporting themselves. And that's and that's pretty much what it. It's that's pretty much what it boils down to is what kind of a team are they going to have? Which I'd like to see the logistical side of this and how they're going to carry this out. Everything is doable. It's just the extreme of how much support you would need to make this come off yeah. successfully. Maybe I maybe I just don't know too much of of the risks, but I just I can see a hundred ways this is, this can be bad. Well, I I don't doubt that you can do it, and again with the logis- with the support that you're going to really need, you can do it. But it's not something you're going to be doing normally, and you're not going to be doing it every day. And I also, I, I personally have a distaste in my my mouth for anybody that's looking to do records in diving, because usually it's they're looking for a look at me kind of thing. They're not looking to expand the art of diving. It comes down to more of an ego thing to me, and more people have died trying to set records than have successfully set records. Yeah, I believe that. And I mean, well, I I hope it's successful and it it all goes well, and they get into the Guinness Book, and you have a phenomenal team, and you've got a four year old that's going to come up to be an ambassador for diving throughout their life. Wish them well. Well, well, I'd like to see a follow-up on this one. Yeah. Well, this next article, and uh, I think they're they're a little older than four, it says Girl Scout Scuba Troop does everything underwater, including selling cookies. A group of girl, uh, Damn them. Uh, girl Scouts will be selling cookies underwater. How is that possible? Troop 4348 is believed to be the first and only scuba Girl Scout troop in the country. The girls do everything a regular Girl Scout troop does, sing songs, earn badges, form friendship circles, do community service, but they do it underwater. Wednesday marked the start of the Girl Scout cookie season in Central Texas with the first booths beginning Saturday. Cookie season continues through February 24th. The troop began 
After dive instructor Karen Erickson, a former Girl Scout leader, worked with the Girl Scouts of Central Texas to start a program that would train Austin-area girls how to scuba. To do that, they had to be able to follow the safety rules set by Girl Scouts USA, as well as diving rules. Erickson made another troop leader, Michael Graff, realize that they had trained the girls to scuba and received their certification, but there wasn't any opportunity for the girls to continue scuba diving with Girl Scouts once they had become certified. They started working with Girl Scouts of Central Texas, got advice from the leader of the robotics troop about how to start a specialized troop. They reached out to the girls they had trained to see if they'd be interested in joining this troop. The troop started with four girls in the fall of 2016, but now has 13 registered, as well as 20 parents. Only one of the parents doesn't scuba dive. The girls are ages 13 to 17 from Austin, Bastrop, Kyle, Dripping Springs, Hutto, Round Rock, and Liberty Hill. Only two of the girls go to school together. The girls have gotten along amazingly well, Graf said. That's a credit to Girl Scouts in general. They came in with a common language through scouting and common traditions. Many of the girls who found a troop are girls who saw their previous troops disband because the girls had to head to middle school and high school. They start to pick up other interests and activities. A few had become what is called a Juliet, an independent scout. Some of the girls remain in their home troop as well as this troop. The girls definitely have a say in the activities they do as long as it follows Girl Scout rules. Graf and Erickson will figure out how to do it underwater. <coughs> That's how the underwater cookie booth started. It was actually a joke. The girls made a YouTube video about the trouble with cookie season as a scuba troop. In the filming of the video, they figured out how to get it done. They have a special table that's weighed to sink to the bottom of the pool at Dive World Austin. Customers can drive down to order cookies, and they can order them from the land by writing their orders on waterproof paper. The orders from the Land Rovers. Oh, Land Lovers. I was thinking Land Rovers. That's a clientele. Uh, land Lovers are delivered by a rigged-up manta ray toy that sinks to the bottom of the pool where the scuba girls are. The customers pay on the surface, and they drop shells in the water and indicate how they have paid, uh, or that they have paid. The girls scuba diving at the bottom then send up the cookies, which float to the surface. Cookies that come in boxes are put in zip-top plastic bags keep them waterproof. The ones that are already in a bag-like package are left that way. The girls in snorkel gear on the surface of the pool make sure cookies get to the customer. Uh, more videos have followed on YouTube channel, including videos involving Matthew McConaughey, Sandra Bullock, to their cookie booths on Saturday. They also filmed a bridge ceremony to move a girl from one level of Girl Scouts to another a friendship circle in a song session. They've created a video called We Are Not Going to Take Your Trash, set to the Twisted Sister song We're Not Going to Take It. That calls attention to the amount of trash blue in the water that they dive. And they go on quite a bit. This is quite a long article. Uh, I'm I'm all for it, you know. All right, you're combining thin mints and scuba. Oh yeah, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> but did you actually say 13 kids and 20 parents? <laughs> that's usually it's 13 kids and one parent. Uh yeah, yeah. That's that's the uh, that's different, and that's probably why the troop's successful. You get the parent involvement. It because you know it takes a lot of effort to do this. Uh. Yeah, you know, I'm sure my certification has expired with Boy Scouts, but I had a similar certification. And anytime you involved water, it went from crazy policies to insane policies. There was so much prep you had to do. Uh, it was scary. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you had to have I, 
so many councils sign off on it. You had had the plans on plans on plans. Uh, yeah, I got to give them two thumbs up for the fact that they took a Girl Scout troop and set it up around Scuba. Yeah. Well, I think this is the type of thing that these youth organizations are going to have to do because there's so much competing with it. I mean, you've seen the Boy Scouts are having trouble. Girl Scouts are having trouble. All these youth groups in a variety of areas, you, you have to have some sort of activity that can't be duplicated online uh, and that people want to do for them to be successful. I was getting ready to say that, Darren. I mean, how can you beat YouTube? Why do I have to go camping? I can watch it on on YouTube. Yeah, throw in that VR headset. What well, you know, everybody else has done it. Yeah, I had virtual shipwreck dive or or whatever. You know, it's a, you know why 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 get in that icky water? Two thumbs up. Just it's not unusual either, though. But nowadays, it's harder to work with children than it was years ago. I was oh, yeah. a scoutmaster in Germany, uh, but we were explorer scouts. And there you mm-hmm. can be a sea scout, which is unique because that's the title is tell you what your interest is, sea scouts. Ours was the uh, air squadron, and one of the projects we had was building a sailplane. This is in Germany, so that's not unusual. We were sponsored by uh, aircraft or basically a military aircraft division. Oh which provided us with link trainer training, meteorological training, basic flight training. So it's all geared to a particular purpose. When my mm-hmm. kids came up, obviously I have ladies, so then I was a Girl Scout. But I was the guy who would go out there and do the fires, watch the camping, you know. But nowadays to do that, you got to have background investigation. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's totally different than when I was coming up, so I – can't really speak for this, but I think it's great that you got that many adults working with the kids. Yes. Yes, yeah, certainly. And they're taking them underwater. Oh, well, yeah. And I will make a bet in 20 years, if you track down these 14 young ladies, you'll find that they have outachieved uh, the rest of the population in general. Yeah, they're doing items instead of watching items by others. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, we know what it takes to to go scuba diving, and they have to go through that as part of their their meetings. I'm, I'm, if you're getting in the water, there's all those steps you have to do, whether it's uh, formalized or not. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Did yeah. you look at the pictures under the under that? I just looked at all the other pictures. Oh yeah, those are some great photos. Oh yeah, they're doing a lot of ecology diving. Uh, that's not just mm-hmm. diving. This is out in the in the environment. Yeah, they're well, you doing think pretty darn good. If you're going to make a troop that's a single topic like that, you got to do all the angles, and that's just you know the community service angle. Yep, that just flows right in. Hats off no, to no. the troop and to the supporters. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm going to contact them and buy a box of cookies. <laughs> that's right. The Mud Club could do that. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Every listener, everybody that listens to this podcast, <laughs> I will I will find how to contact them, and everyone that listens to this podcast should order a box of cookies from them and pay shipping. Darren, let's make a point to get together. When you yep. when, uh, Dave finds that out, let me know. I'll write a little item on the uh, Facebook page for the club, 
and yeah. let's find out how many cookies we can we can order from them. Yeah. That would be fun. All right, Dave, let me know when you get that stuff. Now, now will, can we I will find can we, them. Can can we talk them into delivering them in a nice dive? Probably not. <laughs> you know what? If you've got if you've got twenty parents supporting thirteen kids, and we tell them we want to bring them up and teach them how to ice dive, it might happen. <laughs> That's wow. true. There you go. I've seen I've seen many 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 much weirder things come out of this podcast. <laughs> Are you saying we're weird? I prefer unique. Is that is oh. that weird? Uh, Divers are divers. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the next one is from uh, deeperblue.com. It says, with the new year, the scuba industry strives to get people to rediscover diving. With the diving industry in the USA slowly declining, a new effort is underway to get former divers back into the water. There's a whole bunch of reasons why some divers stop diving, loss of self-confidence after being away from the sport for a while, no equipment, outdated gear, nobody to go diving with, no place to go diving, finances, etc. A lot of these divers like to get back in the water, but they just need that extra motivation to jump back in. The purpose of Rediscover Diving Program is to get these rusty divers safely back in the water. Modeled after a very successful Discover Diving Program from 25 years ago, the new effort is to get these certified divers back diving again. To be clear, this is initiative is not meant to compete with existing programs, rather to supplement them and create new opportunities. Such a project has the potential to give a good, a big boost to the diving industry with instructors, teaching refresher and other community education courses, dive shops selling updated gear and rental equipment, manufacturers filling more orders, refresher divers encouraging others to get certified, dive charter boats, Dive resorts seeing more guests, dive clubs as well as nonprofits getting new members, dive magazines seeing new subscribers, dive insurance companies selling more policies, and divers making new friends and getting people to go diving with. All that said, the most important part of getting people safely back in the water and diving again, the Rediscover Diving Campaign is a national movement focusing on 2019 and is not a a program organized by any one group. It's a gathering of diving professionals from all aspects of the industry designed to be very broad, giving every training agency, dive shop, instructor, charter operator, resort, manufacturer, whoever, the opportunity to tailor a program that work for them in a specific area during their specific season and to their area of expertise. So if you're one of those lapsed divers, contact your local diving professional, see what you have to offer. Maybe they need to just offer Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the idea, but who's coming up with this? It, it says the diving industry, but I didn't see any organization's name. Is just is this something that came out of DEMA? Maybe not that I've seen. So I, I know I, that, like- I know there's some agencies that are really pushing, and they're trying to get these shops to bring people back. But I have yet to see any marketing campaign or whatnot to revitalize it seems like about eight years ago i saw a push for this and it was through uh the local dive shop here that somebody was doing that you know it was the, you know the rusty diver you know i think it was fifty dollars and you know plus gear rental and they would give you a a tune-up course 
Thanks for the idea. Well, I'm looking well, at the website, Rediscover Diving. It says, uh, Rediscover Diving is a national program to help the certified but rusty divers get safely back into the water. And um, I'm going through it. Nice pictures. Most of the information we just talked about. But I really haven't seen, like you said, a particular name. Um, on this particular site, it's got downlay, download the Ageless Diver PDF, the Rediscover logo, um, flyer for dive workshops, dive courses, responsible diver code, and full responsible diver code. So maybe I'll take a look at the site in a little bit and learn a little bit more. What I would like to see would be somebody to do a study and figure out what is the distribution of time between dives and how does that relate to people going diving again? I would theorize that the longer it's been between dives, the less likely you are to ever get back on the water. I would, I have to disagree with that, Darren. I have brought some people back into diving that were very old, that the reason they got away from diving was family obligations, uh, career. And when they got to the point where they were entering retirement and they were looking for something to supplement the fact that they'd been busy every hour of life um, and they've come back into diving, I'm just really curious about who who this is. I'm looking at the pictures and they refer to one of Dan Orr's books, but I don't, I don't see anything about who is behind this. I don't think this is an agency. The verbiage I'm seeing doesn't look like any particular agency's wording. Hmm. And I concur. I'm looking at this other. It's on the Dive Newswire, the industry's news source, and it said that the call to all diving professionals, and it's a national movement. Focus on rediscovering diving for those who have not been back in a while. But I'm I'm curious. There's usually a person or something prompted it, and I cannot find that either. Well, and and that's what's surprising. I I don't think it's nefarious, but it's curious when somebody doesn't, uh, you know, take recognition for it. Well, in fact, though, um, is diving on the downswing? Uh, in the, I think in the U, I, I don't have the numbers, but just anecdotally, I think in the U S it's on the downswing, but, uh, emerging markets like China, you know, the Asia uh, Pacific rim, uh, it's increasing, you know, because as, as people, as you get a larger middle class who are then interested in it, because I know both India and China diving's hot, it's, uh, Kind of a status symbol to be able to to go diving. Well, I just found another item. It's one eight eight or one eight seven seven Scuba USA, and this is Rediscover Diving. Now is the time to do it. It talks uh, looking at the home aspect. You might want to go to that site. So look up one eight eight or eight seven seven Scuba USA. That might answer some of your questions. So eight. 877 Scuba USA. 18, just put 1877 Scuba USA and you'll get this page to start talking about it. But I can't <laughs> find one 
like you said, agency that's really responsible, prompting it. Yeah. Well, I think from I do see, a, I do see a SDI is a member of the World Recreational Scuba Training Council, which seems to be also uh, working with this. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, if you're a dive shop. I think by now, if you're still in existence, you've probably figured out that you can't just do what you used to do before or have one program. You've had to diversify. And uh, it's the, you're, if you can get somebody to come back into scuba who really enjoyed it, that has to be a much less resistance path than trying to get a new diver. Well, the same program is applying to uh, aviation. It's there. They call it rusty pilots, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get again. It's no one particular agency, but they're trying to get everybody who's a CFI certified flight instructor, one or two uh, organizations that have flight training, those that should have flight training, to go back and find out these guys who used to be certified. How come they're not flying? Is it because they lost the medical? So now under the new sport license. Hey, you guys can fly again. Well, might be something like that. Yeah. Well, there's there's a gentleman who's written a couple of articles. Uh, X-ray Mag published an article from a, a gentleman named Ed Stetson, who's he's San Bernardino, California, and his his company Stetson Diving has always been in philanthropical dive activities. Um, this is uh, I'll put this with the Girl Scout troop. To look into it deeper. Yeah. And who is at the root of this? There's always a reason. Um, I know that this this guy, Ed, Ed Stetson, he's done a lot of things to promote the industry along with Dan Orr. Dan Orr used to be, uh, I believe he was chairman of the board of Dan, but him and his wife are ambassadors for diving. And they really have no underlying cause other than to support diving in general. I don't, I don't, my gut feeling is this is not based upon any agency, but it's a group of people that got together and said, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Well, it, it, and, and that can be like how we've got the dive club or the show. Yeah, there's really no major profit motive or anything else. It's just to encourage or promote diving. So I guess maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. It's kind of a shame that we are surprised. But (laughs) (laughs) Who's doing this thing? Well, how about this next one? At at first, when I, 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 that first image looked a little odd when you just glance at it, but uh, this one's from uh, futurism.com. It says, Airfield tent lets scuba divers camp out underwater. The shelter gives divers a place to decompress and maybe even conduct research. A new underwater tent can be can give divers a brief respite. Uh, the floating air pocket in the pocket of air could either let divers take a breather or help them prevent potentially dangerous case of decompression sickness. The ocean space habitat recently patented by New York University researcher Wills. Wilson, Winslow, uh, Burleson, and National Geographic explorer Michael Lombardi 
makes it possible divers stay underwater longer than ever before and may help influence future off-world settlements. The portable tent can be brought to depths beneath the surface and anchored wherever it's needed. Fans powered by rechargeable batteries continuously scrub carbon dioxide from the air, giving the divers access to about six hours of breathable air. A number of developers are working to improve. The researchers tested out the system last October, and now they're gearing up for an overnight stay underwater. An NYU spokesperson told Futurism, as scuba divers ascend after they dive, they need to periodically pause so that their blood pressure can adjust. <laughs> blood pressure. Yeah can adjust to decreasing pressure around them. Normally this means staying suspended in the water, but with inflatable tent in place, they'll be able to remove their masks, breathe naturally, and otherwise have more comfortable experience. So if you're just listening to the podcast for the first time, that is not what happens. That's not written by a diver either. No, no, that was somebody uh, taking, I'm sure the diver had it right. They just uh, transcribed it wrong. It's not blood pressure. Uh, waterbed. Uh, in the immediate future, the team is working developing new sizes and shapes, which they say won't take any new technology developments. It's more a matter of manufacturing and a new design that could have closed floor or room for a bed or scientific equipment instruments. Uh, from there, everything is up to specific needs of the diver. A number of times a diver could redeploy and a single dive would make, would then depend on the size of the habitat and the amount of gas they're willing to bring with them. Burleson told Futurism. Uh, it's free floating. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to read. Oh, I guess we're at the end. So we'll read this last couple of paragraphs. Automatically inflating portable habitats may find use above the sea as well. A newly awarded patent describes how the underlying technology could be used in outer space or in extraterrestrial settlements. Something that Lombardi told Futurism is becoming a real field of research. This technology puts in the region of ocean space within reach of the masses that it hasn't been easily accessed. This is a ticket to extend our range from temporary visitors to the beginnings of the more prompt persistence on the sea floor. So what is your thought of a lift bag you crawl into? How are they going to anchor that to the bottom? I did not see any reference to that. And no, a moment because- ago they said free floating. Free floating is not anchored. So I'm very curious how you got that be at a particular depth. Because it said very deep on one hand. You know what I'm well, saying? If you're going to, if you're going to do free floating, you have to have more weight than what the displacement of the habitat is. And then you counter the extra weight to hold it down by something that floats on the surface. Uh, Excuse me? Well, float ima- on the surface. Well, imagine having like some pontoon boats up there and there, there's your extra buoyancy. And then say that this habitat, its buoyancy is, you know, 900 pounds. Well, you have to have, you know, I'd say probably 20% more. You'd, you'd want, what, 1,200 pounds of weight to hold it down. So the difference between its buoyancy and the weights would be what you'd have to have buoyancy-wise in the surface for it to be suspended so that it could free float. Wouldn't that make sense? Well, it's like our telephone booth. Right. And any of the other chambers we go into, it's, it's the same thing. But they're tethered to the bottom. And I'm looking at yes. this picture, and it's tethered to something on the bottom. Yes, this one's tethered to the bottom. So, Or it could just be the uh, the author's 
misunderstood. Well, to, I, I love the part where it says, underwater tent allows divers to create a safe, comfortable place to stay while submerged hundreds of feet below the surface of the ocean. So you, what are you doing? Uh, oh, what, what's that that the uh, oil rig guys do? Sat diving. Sat, yeah, saturation You're diving. You're yeah, so this is just a the a cloth bell. Well, in a bell, I've got the weight of the device on a crane. I'm not. <laughs> there's nothing. You know, it's not a flotation, and it ain't going to float. Yeah, I, I think it's been hyped a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, a, a a lot, hundreds of feet on the bottom. Sure. I'm thinking that if you put a heater in it, a coffee pot, and I can do my deco hangs in there. Oh yeah, there you go. Curious about the cost. Well, the weight is going to cost you, and the tether for a couple of hundred feet is going to cost you. Yeah. Well, and then you have to <laughs> you have to maintain it. And when they were doing the dives on the Andradoria, they had stages like this that would have an air pocket so you could get into. So if you had an issue, you know, but it was anchored and welded to the freaking ship. Yep. Anchored in place. That's the key item. It says right here. The OSH mm-hmm. can be brought to a suitable depth, inflated to its proper size, and anchored in place. Okay. Yeah. From that aspect, I agree. Yeah. Portable phone booth. Yep. Put a coffee pot in. I'm all for it. Well, I'm wondering what the patent is because the, I have not seen anything that I that is new. Yeah. That, I, I saw that, too. Other than this, looks like a jellyfish combined with a minion. Uh, it's it's not any different. So, boy, I'd hate to be decoing in there and have somebody come across it like to eat jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> well, this gives a whole new meaning to a Dutch oven, though. Uh, scuba divers unearth a sunken remains of a 2,000-year-old Gaelic amphora in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, hall of 2,000-year-old pottery has been discovered in the seabed in the Mediterranean. Fifteen Gaelic amphoras were found half-submerged in the sand and were first spotted by two scuba divers outside the city of Portofino in late November of last year. The archaeologists have now begun the process of pulling the pottery from the water for further study. Um, let's see. And I'm not going to, the two dudes <laughs> from Santa Marguerite, uh, Laguerre, Italy found that the ancient jars and immediately informed the local department of antiquities. The first ceramic jar was picked up from the ocean floor on January 10, 2019 footage taken by a diver shows the ancient jars lying in 164 feet, 50 meters under the surface. Most of them are perfectly intact but one has been shattered and became home to an array of marine wildlife, including two lobsters. Thanks to our underwater scooters, we were able to conduct a wide survey of the waters outside Portofino, and we found the amphoras in, in a place divers don't normally get to. The first thing we noticed was the necks and flat bottoms of some of the jars popping out of the sand. And, and a great collection of uh, photos. Uh, and they go on quite a bit. Uh, talking about some timelines of colonization in the area. I watched the video. Didn't, I, I must have missed the part where they talked about depth. I was going to say it was close to 200 feet because it was pretty dark down there. 
plenty of things to find in the Mediterranean. Yep. You just got to look for them. And everything out there is sitting there. The reason nobody's found it is nobody's looked there. Yeah. I, I noticed the divers in the video were all side mounting. Or were those rebreathers and that was their, uh, oh, okay, I say that. And then there's, here's one I'm seeing. He's got doubles on his back and a side mount. I was going to say, I see bubbles. I think we're looking at the same picture. Bandwagoner. Yeah. So cool. Always cool to see new archaeological finds. Yep. And then here we have uh, Shackleton's lost ship may lie at the bottom of Antarctica's Weddell Sea. Expedition scientists on board a vessel in Antarctica on the last stage of their voyage to search for the wreck of the steam yacht Endurance, which was abandoned by the British polar explorer Ernest Shackleton in 1915 when it was crushed by sea ice. They're just a few days away from the spot where the shipwreck is thought to lie at the bottom of Antarctica Weldon Sea, or Weddell Sea. The expedition members on board a Dutch research vessel recently completed their scientific tasks on the voyage by surveying the storied Larsen Sea ice shelf alongside the Arctic, Arctic Peninsula and the, gig, the gigantic A-68 iceberg that separated from it in July 12, 2017. When that started as an enormous crack in Larsen Sea, accumulated separation of Delaware-sized trillion-ton iceberg drifting through the Weddell Sea. Now the Agouras too is making its way through the heavy sea ice to the last known location of the Endurance which members of Shackleton's expedition carefully recorded using astronomical sightings. British maritime archaeologist Mensum Bond, who heads the expedition exploration phase, said the team is hopeful about finding the historic shipwreck about 75 miles from the ship's present location, thanks to a break in the weather. Although the odds of success were initially against us, the mood within the team is up, given the favorable ice, and weather condition, which will allow us to reach the search area. And they go on and talk about uh, Shackleton's uh, dive, or not dive, uh, expedition. I've kind of been following this. Uh, There's a couple of expeditions that are looking for that, and I'm curious how they're going to get through that depth of ice to run sonar. The, the one article I was reading, they were looking at somewhere around 100 to 150 foot of ice. Well, how is Shackleton's vessel under 150 feet of ice? Global warming. <laughs> I know. I, mean, I hate pointing something out, but uh, so they're trying to say that there was the ice wasn't there in 1915 you'd have to look at weather patterns i mean maybe it was in a thinner thinner area of ice and things have shifted Mm -hmm. i would say anything is possible i mean there there are things that we don't quite understand yet and one of them being the movement of ice in the arctic but how my my interest in this is how are we going to image through that ice or below that ice. I, I think if, I don't know what they've got, but if it was me, I would have uh, some sort of autonomous 
ROV and have it do search patterns. So it basically goes in under the ice, does some scans, come back, you you get the data and you send it back out again. Something you commi- something you have the ability to communicate with so that if the opening moves. Yeah. I'm I'm curious a little bit because the Wendell C visible depth is two hundred and sixty two feet. Was this the one that National Geographic did that video a few years ago where they were, they were showing things freezing in place? Not sure. I'm just looking at this one item. Take that back. It's not that. This is um, Wendell Sea has been determined by scientists to have the cleanest water of any sea. Dutch researchers uh, did an experiment on finding a sea disk at a depth of 262 feet, meaning they were able to see that. 262 feet down. Wow. Ascertained the clarity corresponded to that of distilled water. (laughs) Unbelievable. Okay, the slope. uh, Window C marking the edge of the continent. Break between the shelf and continental slope. Lies at a depth of 1,600 feet. The unusual great depth for uh, continental margin may result from the ice load imposed on on the Antarctic crust. So you're talking some pretty deep water, too. Hmm. I'd love to see the science behind their their search methods. Yeah. Well, the, it, it sounds like that there, they were pretty confident based on readings when the ship went down of where they were at. So if they've been able to figure that out, then you just do a perimeter around that point you know, spiraling away and you should eventually find it. So they're, they must have a good idea where they think it is. And then the conditions have to be right to get you to that point. If there's in fact that much ice over it, it doesn't matter how good your data is. You might not be able to get to it. So. That'd be a hell of a find. So what would our, what is our prediction on condition? Do we think this is going to be a, a fairly intact wreck? Is it going to rival like a Thunder Bay type of, of wreck or uh, um, do these, the normal saltwater critters get to it even though it's this cold? Hmm. That cold water, it's got to be preserved to some extent because the normal organisms that would consume a wooden vessel Probably, and I, I don't know for sure, probably can't exist in those conditions. Hopefully they find it and we'll find out. Their intent is to use an ROV out there. Yeah, and that, and that makes sense. Autonomous underwater vehicle. All I got to say is they find it and they fund it. We'll dive it. Yeah. Ice is ice, isn't it? Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. We'll go ahead and end it there this week. Uh, and as we talked about at the beginning of the show, I, I think we are in ideal ice-building weather. We have had th- three days in a row with uh, below zero temperatures. <laughs> Way I would think below. That, I would think that would have to help a lot in making a good amount of ice. I have not heard any report anybody ice fishing. Have you? 
I have not heard of people ice fishing. Even ice fishermen have a limit on when they'll go out. Yeah. I will say that I did an, an ice diving class last weekend, and we had four inches of ice on the body of water we dove. And with the conditions this week, we're hoping it builds more, and we've got a pretty good-sized group coming out this weekend to do some uh, some more ice diving, and we're actually going to put free divers under the ice. You got that oh. clarity of water? Well, I'll tell you Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we've done it at Lake 16, but that was an exceptional day. Yes, it was. Well, the place we're going next weekend normally has pretty good visibility for an inland lake. And under the ice, it's always had really good vis. So we'll see what we have. you got to pass it to know it's in it, right? <laughs> I think I've heard that. Oh, wait, that's the other podcast. Uh. <laughs> Keep getting those confused. But I will say that we had some uh, very interesting conditions last weekend on our ice dive. Um, We dove a place that, as far as we can tell, nobody has ever dove. It is a catfish pay pond. Is that where you pay to fish catfish? Exactly. It's been closed down for about 10 years. There's a new owner, and he's wanting to know what – he's heard stories about depth and whatnot. He doesn't know exactly. So he's been talking to us about diving at the sea. And, well, it's right next to the shop I've been working with. So we went over there and dove it. In hindsight, we should have had him turn off the aerator system about a week before. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Did he have – so they're, I take it they're catfishing there now? Um, that's an understatement. He okay. recently restocked, but there were stories of some big cats that were in there, and actually named the place as Big Cats. And he actually had just restocked, and in his restocking, two of the fish that he restocked were over 50 pounds. What? Oh, my. How do, you, how do you find a 50-pound catfish to restock with? Everything's for sale for the right amount of money. And I his... Picture, wow. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I picture a 50-pound catfish consuming a lot of your stock that you're putting in there. And that's that's certainly possible. And that's kind of why he wanted us to go in there. We'll be doing some uh, service when the water is not so solid, so he actually has an understanding of what what the underneath looks like. He's also got uh, some Christmas trees stuff that he wants us to sink. But uh, it was an interesting ice dive. First ice dive I've ever done that was limited visibility. Oh, I've I've done plenty. Plenty of ice dives with limited viz. Yeah, but the aerator system is along the bottom, and it it continually suspends the silt. Yeah. But it was wet, and it was under the ice, and it was was a fun time. And catfish were seen. (laughs) So there are some there. Judging by what we saw, 
if the small area we were in can be scaled up to the entire, it's it's about a 10-acre lake. He has a phenomenal amount of catfish there. <laughs> what, you, what you need to do is uh, convince convince him to uh, pay for uh, doing some video. Because I bet you that'd be a great marketing video if you could swim and just show, you know, if you can't catch catfish here, you're not fishing. We'd have to get him to turn off the aerator for a little while, I think. <laughs> he may do that, and you may have uh, about half a half an acre of floaters. Exactly, and that's where the Catch-22 is. Because we were talking about doing some video, and we, we tried, and it looked like the lens cap was left on. <laughs> yeah, because catfish actually are pretty hardy when it comes to low oxygen, I believe. I think they can just about go into a suspended state and just hang around. I think catfish are the cockroach of the water world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tasty cockroach, but. But I'm really looking forward to next weekend. I mean, we've we've had, you know, we had four inches of ice there, and then we've had some phenomenally cold weather this week. So I'm guessing the ice will do nothing but build. And we're looking at uh, probably 50-degree weather while we're trying to ice dive, which brings in a whole other set of circumstances. But yeah, yeah it's nothing, not nothing often quite, you get to ice dive where the, the air is warmer than the water. Yeah, that could be a little unsettling when you have three or four inches of water on top of your ice. It'll certainly be interesting. And then well, adding, saw, in, adding in the free divers, that's new to me, so that'll be fun. That'll be interesting. I haven't heard of too many free divers braving the ice, so that'll be uh, that'll be one to see how that goes. Uh, our, in the dive club, we had some ice divers a few weeks ago, but even the Hardy have said that they were going to take a few weeks off, so I don't know when we'll see people back in the water again. Well, Jim and I are talking right now about some dates uh, in February. So I'm guessing probably in February. Yeah. That would make sense. We've got a couple of people that started in nice diving class last year. And, you know, then last year we really didn't have good ice. I'm thinking we're going to be able, February should be all good for ice dive. Uh, even with the warm weather that's coming up this weekend, it's not going to last long. February's not going to stay that warm. Uh, it's well, going to be cold again. Then you've got enough of a snow blanket on top right now to insulate it. Because yeah. you certainly have had some snow. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Uh, the, the interesting thing with snow is that it's been with the high winds. You have extremes. You have deep drifts and then you have bare pavement and it just depends on where the wind is and what it's doing and i'm sure that's going to be the similar experience in the lakes you'll have spots maybe out towards the middle where the wind scoured it down to the ice but uh i think we've got enough snow that a majority of these lakes will have some insulation on them in worst case we can always chop ice at the ramp and work our way in very true I mean, there is there is one lake I still have a missing mask at. 
Well, with the visibility, hopefully you'll be able to find it. You should be able to see that little mass cut out in the bottom where it went right on down. One could only hope. Mac, do you have a uh, safety story for this week? Well, uh, Scuba Diving put out an article that talked about 10 situations survive any dive catastrophe. And of the 10, one of the ones they had talked about was, number one, surviving extreme weather. And they gave some examples, and I'll go through that. It says, you surface to find the perfect storm raging. You've been plummeted by 10-foot swells. Dive boat is nowhere in sight. Think it can't happen? It is unlikely, but in February 2014, seven Japanese scuba divers entered the water in good conditions and surfaced to a raging storm that turned the ocean to a violent whirlpool. Five women survived, found three days later, 12 miles from where they disappeared, clinging to a rocky reef. How can you survive an ordeal like this? And basically what they did was the following items, and also what they recommend if you ever come your, you know, get up and you're in an extreme weather condition. Number one is inflate your VC. You'll need every ounce of energy to stay warm and slow the onset of hypothermia. Treading water to stay afloat increases your cooling rate by 35%. Number two, get into the help, which is a heat escape lessening posture. That's where you tuck your legs up to your chest as best you can, wrap your arms around them, and that does slow your body heat down by 50%. Your survival time in open water varies greatly depending on the water temperature, your body size, and whether we're in a full wetsuit or dry suit even. Survival time is almost unlimited in 80-degree Caribbean waters, while it's limited to one or two hours in water colder than 50 degrees. Number three says, signal for help, deploy your safety sausage. And the comment, of course, is you do carry one, don't you? And do you have a mirror? During the day, a shiny object, if from your mask to a dive face computer, one of the best signaling devices available. Sweep the horizon to flash reflected light at a possible search vessel or aircraft. That kind of signal from an aircraft can be seen up to 40 miles away. Number four, swim for shore only if rescue seems unlikely. If you're nearing a rugged coastline, drop your tank before you land, <clears throat> before you land so it doesn't beat you senseless against the rocks. So those are the four suggestions they give of how to survive raging weather. I, I think that makes sense. I think the key item a lot of places uh, that we've read who have got separated from the boats is they lanyard themselves together so they're all together. So either they all make it or they all don't make it. Right. And it's easier. I mean, if you're going to find one, you would have found them all three. Well, it's it's easier to spot a, a big group, but you, your likelihood is much greater. Yeah. Uh, also, you can, I mean, depending on the conditions, you, you might be safer as a group as well. Yeah. And that also brings to mind the uh, thought of a service marker buoy. Much easier to see than the human head bobbing. Oh, absolutely. One of the biggest issues I have is rebreather divers, especially on wrecks, deep ones, or any diver, you know, you've got your buddy down there, all the open circuit guys are back up, 
he doesn't show up on time, where do you even start to look? Not going to follow the bubble trail. Nope. Usually. And if you do, it's not good. Yeah. Certainly always something to keep in mind when you're diving from a boat. How are you going to deal with something if you have to surface away from the boat? How do you signal to the people that are still on the boat that, yo, over here? Well, I'm becoming a more firm believer if I was diving something like that. I'd have one of those uh, locator beacons, waterproof oh, yeah. type. I would definitely spend the 300 bucks and have one of those suckers. Well, it, it almost every one of these articles, which we seems to come across at least one a month, and if you had that in working condition, uh, it seems like it would eliminate a lot of the the hassle that many of these people have gone through. And a lot of them would have been solved by just a fundamental understanding of the basic diving skills. A lot of the problems that result in people surfacing away from a vessel are a lack of fundamental basic skills. But certainly if you you surface and you're away from the boat, something to show them that I'm here is phenomenal. Maybe the difference between life or death. Anytime I'm on the big lake, I definitely carry my my Dan float. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm getting to the point where I carry two uh, safety sausages. Well, I have been known yep. to tow my dive flag even on the shallow wrecks at six or seventy. I I I like that idea. It makes it so much easier when you're on the boat bubble watching to see where you are. What well, you're doing. remember how we've done that before? We had people take a um, a Clorox bottle, get away from the downline, let the bottle up, and then the idea though was to find some place you really liked on the wreck, mm-hmm. tie it off the bottle because it was numbered. Yeah, remember as much as you can about the area, so when everybody came up, we could mark a map with all the bottles and help draw the map out of what's in that area deep it is yeah i like that idea in general and just carrying the bottle you, at least you knew where they were when they went and where they were at i always seem to be turned about 180 when i get to the bottom i'll think a rex one way and then i'll real realize when everything's all put together that it's it's that's not the orientation i always orient my compass so i know where i'm at in reference mm-hmm. to the shore Period. I do too, but it's just something about that going down that your my, my natural direction finder just is not accurate. Always trust your instruments. Yes. Well, Darren, one thing I didn't hear you mention, um, I I heard rumor that your podcast here recently came up in an article. Oh no! Did it? Yeah, I believe Number that. I don't recall who it was. I'd have to look at, look back and see. But it was a podcasting group article. It wasn't a scuba diving article. But it was oh. about the best podcasts relating to scuba diving. <laughs> wow. And so that was, they said, if, you know, anybody but Scuba Obsessed? You didn't I, see that article? No, I didn't. I thought you sent it to me. No, I sent it. I sent it out. 
Okay, because that's what I saw that. Yeah, we were number one. I think Rich was number six. Wow. Uh, Player FM featured scuba diving. We're on that list. Um, Comparing scuba podcasts. That's a fairly... It was a recent article, and out of the top ten, which it was kind of funny, it was the top ten, and there were only eight. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you're... But there were really, there were three that were really active. Um, Scuba Obsessed, the Great Dive Podcast, James Mountain Brando. And, you know, Rich popped up there. Kind of funny. He was actually below one that's kind of dormant, but. I just posted that, by the way. Where'd you put it? Uh, Oh, look. Is it in the chat room here? Yeah, well, I just posted it wherever that went. Lord knows where okay. it went, though. Oh, it went to the general rule. I, I, oh. I'll jump in there. Dun, dun, dun. I'll copy that up here. And do a paste and go. Okay, player FM. That's the one you're talking about? Yeah, this one is. <laughs> so, I mean, are these in any particular order? Or? They numbered them. Oh, did they? Did they? I'm not. So am I not seeing the numbers? This is Player FM you're talking about. Or I'm it pulling one? it up to see if this is the one. Oh, oh, wow. Uh, there's uh, girlslife.co. Is that the one? Let me paste that one. No, up. but I'm afraid to check. <laughs> I. By the name of it, but that one uh, that one has us at number one, which is pretty impressive. Let's see. I mean, I this was a at- this was a podcast article. It was a podcasters. Wow, wow! This one was. Uh, this is. I, I'm going with the one that has me number one. us number one. <laughs> me, not me. It's all our supporters on Patreon. Uh, but I mean, when we get a number one and we beat scuba radio. Well, yeah, but they're warm water. They don't count. Yeah. And the great dive podcast, which I'm ashamed to say, I don't, I'm not familiar with, but they, they, they're also a Michigan dive podcast. Darren, you need to start listening to them. Are they? Because, oh yeah. James and Brando, they're, they're buddies of mine. And Brando is basically me. And there's a lot of beeping out that occurs. Because Brando will get on a kick about scuba diving training agencies and lawyers, and every other word out of his mouth starts with an F. Okay. So, so he's the uh, the blue diving podcast, then. Kind of, but they're they're basically both of them are professionals in the diving world, and they have it's a different lean. It, it's it's good listen. Wow, it's, it's it's interesting how they came up with this ranking on this one website. I just so, sent you another one also. Oh, is there another one? It's called Comparing Scuba Podcasts. They surface and sync. It's on the scubagadget.com. I, I will say I did listen to the Two Shallow Divers podcast recently, and it's interesting. They're a couple out of Chicago area, and they're brand-new divers. And it's... 
entertaining but different. Uh, okay. Yeah, but they call Scuba Radio top. Well, what's interesting is like one of the like the link you just sent me, Mac. That was from 2011. <laughs> that's like, wow, yeah. That's, well, that's it good. is. Whenever I start reading it, let's uh, see how they said that. Yeah, because there's a the period. The two hosts there about- are knowledgeable, but in the beginning, they portrayed the alcoholic diver stereotype far too much for my taste. However, oh, they've changed really? of late. So, like you said, this is back in the day. It's put on by two relatively new divers. I find their enthusiasm refreshing. Oh, yeah. Alcoholic divers. Oh, my gosh. You would think that I'm a lush. I'm, I'm not even on the drinking scale. I'm Other than I do like to talk. I, I think I like to talk about alcohol more than I really like to drink. That's because you're getting too old. It takes too long to heal. <laughs> heal. Well, I'm too cheap. I mean, I'm, that that's the story of my life. Uh, but some, yeah, some of these are interesting. Uh, yeah, the player FM, they really don't have them ranked from what I can see. But, uh, but I will tell you that uh, the Great Dive podcast is. Now I think I'm listening. If you go to if the best way is the SoundCloud app, they're on. Mm-hmm. They use SoundCloud to publish, and they're pretty much every week. Uh, they push it out on Friday. <clears throat> James works full time in a dive shop. Um, they're both DIR guys. They're both UTD instructors. James is also a PADI instructor, and it it's a different. Uh, Different viewpoint on diving. They're both very conservative divers, and they're they're fun to be around. Let me let me inject real quick. the The top ten, if you want to find it updated, January twenty first, twenty nineteen is it's uh, blog dot dot com scuba diving. I sent the link back to you. Try that one, and you'll find it. The current one as of today. Wow. A lot of Twitter followers. Oh yeah, I you know, find that one now. Occupational hazard. Yeah, that's a well. That's a, that's the same list that the uh, the uh, girls dot com one was. So it must be they just like reposted it or something. So yeah, uh, not to toot our own horn, but we'll we'll take it. Uh, I. I don't know if we're necessarily the best podcast. I would. Of course uh, we are. What do you mean? You know, what do we are? Hey, let's yeah. stop being humble there, bud. Hey, humble. when you're good, you're good. Humble. When you're good, you're good. And other than the fact that I've got three podcasts, I'm still in the middle of editing. I feel so bad about uh, Rick Mixter because I'm still, his is one of them. I've got, I'm going to be able to recover it. I've got the technology, but it's a little, it's a. And, you know what? You, you sound we'll call, great. Rick we'll sounds call, great. I sound like I'm underwater. So, call Rick back and bring him back in. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get it. I I what I need to do is just I'm going to dub in myself, which is something I don't think I've actually done more than a a sentence in an episode before. But uh, it would it would drive most people nuts to try and listen to it. Um, so I've got to get that one out. But I did get I did get one posted this morning. 
I always think when I'm, I'm going to travel that I'll get an extra one in and I can get caught up, but it never happens. So uh, I'm not sure how they're coming up with the ranking. I think I have an idea. It's a combination of how frequently you do it and uh, your Facebook fans and Twitter followers, which we are strong on Twitter. I need to get back into it. I've only, I'm not tweeting as much as I can because one of the services we used to use, which was, oh, uh, I can't even remember it now, but it was a news aggregation service where it would help me aggregate news articles on scuba diving. And, uh, yeah, it just, it, it takes, it doesn't take, you know, if you think you're going to get to that level of followers without paying somebody, it takes a while, but we have, uh, on the scuba obsessed webcast, which you can follow us on Twitter at scuba obsessed. Uh, we have 13,500 plus on Facebook. We're at 579. According to this link, I think we're just a slight bit ahead of that. Um, so yeah, we're doing pretty well. You know, Scuba Radio has almost 2,000, which they were number two. Twitter followers are only at 361. It just depends on what they're promoting. Well, they um, also say that our, it's not our limiting, but some people consider it limiting that we're concentrating more in the Midwest, meaning Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes, and that's it. We don't do any traveling. We're not talking wreck diving mm-hmm. out in the big you know, Pacific, that kind of stuff. Cold water, shallow water diver. Hey, if they don't like it, they can go to scuba radio. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to talk bad about anybody, but I, I could go on a rant on, on some of these. Uh, no, and Fish. we're not against, if, if they want to send us, if somebody's got, if, if you're a resort operator and you're willing to put us up in a hotel room and, uh, you know, arrange some dives for us, we'll come down and dive. It's, we're not adverse to dangerously warm, clear water. You know, I'm not going to throw Jeff Genther under the bus or name anybody, but, uh, you know, I've heard the Caymans are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And- you, you and all our, our dive shop friends know people and places. They could offer it. We're not going to turn it down. So, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be seeing yeah. Jeff. I'll be seeing Jeff around, uh, yeah. I'm guessing the 2nd of March. Yeah. Might have to talk to him about that. And by the way, currently it's 583 on Facebook. 583. Okay. Yeah. See, see, so even since this, which was published January 21st, so we've even gained a few listeners since then. So, but the biggest thing to look at that, that blows my mind is if you look at the scuba podcasting world and you look at longevity and currency, mm-hmm. there are really only three that stay current. Not counting scuba radio because it's actually a radio show that they just podcast their episodes. There really are, are only three, and all three of them are out of Michigan. What the hell is that about? <laughs> I, that's what I want to know is what's going on. And then you look, and here you've got the two shallow divers out of Chicago, Illinois. I mean, might as well be Michigan. It's like, Same thing. I mean, yeah. Phipps. Phipps. Yeah, yeah, and you got that. So, uh, you know, we got Diver Sync. That's Michigan. Great Dive Podcast. That's Michigan. Scoops. You know, the, you know, the only ones coming close is Florida with a was a measly two. Um, and then you even have uh, what? Uh, what was the what was the video one that was up here? Talking uh, Scuba. Talking Scuba, which tragically ended, but 
I mean, that was from Michigan. So what's what's up with Michigan and podcasting? Well, so. you know, I, I hate to say it because you know, being from the the Buckeye State, it's it's really hard for me to swallow and say that Michigan does something better. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, Michigan is surrounded by three of the Great Lakes, and you can even say, actually, it's you know four of the Great Lakes. I'm sorry. Four. Or if you include Erie as a Great Lake. Erie is a Great Lake. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> she, she may be shallow, but she is great and vicious. Yes. And she yeah. has many wrecks because of the fact that she's shallow and vicious and female. But <laughs> also in Michigan, you're no more than five miles from a, from a body of water anywhere in that damn state. We have more opportunity for drowning you than any other state in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and you know, I've, I have spent more time driving to dive in the state of Michigan than I have driving to dive in the Atlantic. And don't get me wrong, I, I used to love the, uh, the wrecks out off New Jersey. Used to love going out to the Outer Banks. But that water is nasty. It's like salty, and they have sharks. And there's there's no way you can compare. There's nothing better than than Great Lakes diving. And you take you take somebody that's been brought up in the diving world in the Midwest and and Great Lakes environment, inland lakes, whatnot. They can go anywhere and dive. And you know, Michigan divers just have great places to go diving. You can't beat the wrecks that you can see in Lake Huron, Michigan, Superior, even Erie, when you can see them in Erie. Yeah. Well, what I mean, and this kind of goes full circle with the premise of starting the podcast is when Jim Clem and I started diving, we didn't know you could dive in Michigan. I mean, we, we figured there was some spots to go diving in the big lakes, but we didn't realize that the rest of the, how how much opportunity there is, and it's just a great opportunity. And you know that's one great thing about this podcast is it's opened up people's eyes that they can dive wherever. You know, check your local laws by all means. Don't go trespassing on somebody's property. Dive something. At least don't tell anybody about it. Yeah, and then don't tell anybody. Don't don't take pictures and put them on Facebook. But you can dive anywhere. All fifty states in this country. And around the world, I mean, great thing about this podcast is it has brought so many people from around the world. I mean, there's a guy in the chat room right now who is a metric guy. I mean, he was rubbing it in that he, he had like 70 degree temperatures today, but it took oh. somebody that could do math to tell me that because I don't remember what he said, but I think he said I it was in the it was 20s. Yeah, I th I thought he was still in freezing weather. I I was confused. Damn, damn metric people. Could be but, still snowing. Well, he's down there in tomorrow. He can tell us what tomorrow looks like. I always try to get them to tell me the lottery numbers, but they never do that. Wow. And it's summer down there, by the way. Yeah. I never thought of that. Derek, what are tomorrow's winning lottery numbers? <laughs> oh. And And, I mean... The the what what the podcasting has brought together in the world and 
build a community and introduce people, there's no way you can measure. I mean, there's there's a guy that uh, I haven't seen him on the podcast lately, but I, I know that he still listens. His name's John. He's from Utah. When he first started listening to two podcasts, both out of Michigan, he had never been underwater. And that was back in the early days of both Scuba Obsessed and Diver Sink. He's now an instructor in teaching people and taking them places and introducing them to the underwater world. And he always wanted to, but he was pushed into it and finally doing what he wanted to by listening to the stories on the podcasts. There's no way to measure the impact in the diving world from the podcast coming out of Michigan. Well, I, I've got an idea how to measure it. If everybody who listens to the podcast or listens or <laughs> listen to any podcast, Mac knows where I'm going, uh, head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to our Patreon link. And even a dollar would certainly help us out, keep us on the air. This measly going on 10 years. Uh, it would certainly help out. $3 or more, get you early access to show notes, and who knows, you give us more, maybe we'll do something else, but uh, it's 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 out there. 500 you get Darren's oh, yeah. old wetsuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Then we'll do it. As a, it's as probably a, still hanging in the tree. No, no, I, I know right where it is. It's, 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 it's doing what all dive gear does, which is it hangs on exercise equipment that isn't used. Well, um, well, if you have a you know a treadmill, you can turn it into a tank tumbler. But uh, plus, since we're an alcoholic podcast, uh, it's a great place to hide your liquor is in the legs of wetsuits. Uh, but most certainly, Darren, you bring up a great topic with the Patreon, and I know that everybody out there that listens to these shows is going to waste more money on a damn shitty cup of coffee from McDonald's. Yes, and this is not free for you to produce. There are costs involved that that we don't even want to get into. <laughs> and nobody is making a killing off of a scuba diving podcast. No. And no, the, the scuba radio, for example, which I'd say probably is financially the most successful. He, how many different podcasts does he do? I mean, he's he's probably got six or seven different ones he does down there. Plus, he's an actual professional radio uh, personality, syndicated. So, you know, he, he's, he's going to every avenue because that is his primary occupation. I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I don't live on this. Otherwise, it'd be a cardboard box. I, well, it, and it, it it'd be me and my holy wetsuit. It's not even about you making money doing this. It's about you not losing money. And yeah. if, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you find a, a, a modicum of entertainment or maybe you learn something or – it motivates you to explore that desire that, that you dreamed about as a kid. And, wow, I'd love to see what the underwater world is. And you listen to this and you become motivated to to take it further and become an open water diver and maybe even go further. Come off to three damn dollars. I mean, I give them three bucks a month. And we appreciate that. I give every podcast that I listen to three bucks a month. Because it costs me more than that to pay to receive news articles or, you know, to buy a magazine. Well, and, and you think of, of your value for entertainment. What's your time worth uh, 
I mean, you're, you're, you're paying a subscription to Netflix. You've got your cable, your satellite. Um, you know, we're giving you, you know, each episode's between an hour and an hour and a half. So that's 90 minutes. Uh, well, well, let's see here. I can, I can tell you how many minutes of, well, and the question would be is whether it's entertainment or not. And some of them daren't even edits. I, every once in a while. <laughs> every 90-second episode is edited. I mean, just think of the value of the scuba jokes. Or it, it's it's actually devolved. Not all of them are scuba jokes, but they're all bad. Yes. But so the episode we all know itself, we, we retell them. Yes. No matter how bad they are, I know every one of you are secretly hiding that joke for that moment where it's appropriate or inappropriate to bring it up. <laughs> Well, see, really, the episode's worth $10 an episode <laughs> minus $8 for the joke, which puts it right about $2. So we do between three to four episodes a month. So it's, uh, you know, that, that, that $3 is a bargain at half the price. Well, not only that, think about the shipping for the jokes. Most of the really bad jokes are coming from down under. Yes. We're talking about you, Rod. So the shipping charges alone. Well, and then they've got to be housed. I can't keep them in in normal spots. You know, you got to protect the kids from them. Uh, you know, they if you put them in the refrigerator, everything goes bad. So you you've got to put them in their own area. And just think about the ones you don't tell that need to be in a lead lined box. Oh, wow. I was I got to figure out how to dispose of them. I was thinking about driving them out to cook when they weren't looking. Yeah, they'll blend in. That's a good point. Yeah, self sanitizing. But certainly, if you're listening to this, you're finding any entertainment value or learning or whatever, just just pony up. Yeah, it, It's not that much. Just throw a buck in because, you know, it, it's not free for Darren to produce this. Just in just in equipment, microphones, whatnot, plus yeah. web hosting. And it, the costs are not tiny. Well, here, I'm, I'm looking at the analytics for the podcast, and it's just this last week, and we'll, we'll go to the top 10 countries. And the United States comes in at number one, as you would expect, being an English-speaking podcast. But what is surprising is the number two country for the last week is Colombia. That is not normal. That's not our normal demographic. But somehow, we have entered the elusive Colombian market, which is number two which squeaked out the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, which is uh, three, four, and five. Then we have Canada, South Africa, Norway, Germany, Sweden, and then Ireland. And then uh, we can go farther with Philippines, Malaysia, Jersey, which I never realized that Jersey. I'm, I'm picturing there must be a country Jersey because New Jersey, even though sometimes it acts like another country. Uh, Costa Rica, Slovakia, Chile, Switzerland, Cyprus, South Korea, Thailand, India, Israel. United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Bonaire, appropriately, and Hong Kong. And that's just this week. Those are the countries that have been visiting the podcast. Well, I see and, a challenge there. I can't believe that our friends down under would, would let themselves be beat out by anybody. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they've got some ground to, to uh, catch up on. And we do, if you go to the website, uh, poke around a little bit, you can find our Scuba Obsessed fan map. 
and uh, you know, put a pin in there. And if and we understand if you don't have money and you can't support the podcast, but how about a five star review? Uh, we could certainly use those. Uh, go to your uh, podcasting application of choice, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Google Play. We're on all of them. We're even on Spotify. We made the elusive Spotify uh, list. So go ahead and give us a review. I'm 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 assuming that they've got a review uh, spot there, but uh, you know anything will help. Let a friend know. Invite a friend to it. Invite a friend to go diving, which is really what this is all about. And not only that, don't forget, if you're ever up in the southwest Michigan area or southeast, you're in this region and you want to go diving, let us know. Yeah. And you, we won't make you drink. Uh, whatever they say, we, we've, it's been a while since we've forced alcohol on anybody. Now we might make them buy. Yes. <laughs> you, could, you could buy yourself with a bill. Yeah, you know, there's all sorts of games that, that can happen that way. But uh, and, yeah, and, it's uh, and nobody wants to pay my coffee bill ever. Yes. Oh, I've got a a, a 20 year old daughter, so I know what a uh, coffee bill is like. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I mean, do you have guys have anything you want to plug as we finish this off as we're approaching a two hour mark, at least before editing? Uh, Mac, do you have anything? Oh, let me see here. Our world underwater on the 16th of February and uh, not diving related, but if you're a flyer and you want to go to a FAA seminar in Dwajak, Michigan, that's the second this weekend. But yeah, other than that, I don't have anything. Okay. How about you, Dave? March 2nd, Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival in Ann Arbor, hosted by the Ford Seahorses and... There's two clubs now that have combined. Uh, I can't recall the other one. It's uh, Ford Seahorses, who have traditionally been the sponsor. And there's another club that's working with them now. Um, but same show, same place. So don't miss. Same quality yeah. venue. Yes, sir. We're, we're in that dive season time of the year, which is the as hard as it is to believe. I think we have reached peak cold, and it will start to warm up from here. At least the days are getting longer. Uh, so if you're in the Midwest, and even on the East Coast and West Coast, they have dive shows starting to come up. It's dive show season, and the nice thing about dive show season, it's a firm indicator that spring is around the corner, and it's time to get the boat ready, get in the water, and yep. start hitting the wrecks. Yep, and and my plug will be uh, as Kevin was here to uh, support your local librarians. Do some research. Uh, tell me you appreciate them, and then also get out to your dive shops. If you're not diving, uh, at least get your gear in there so it can be serviced, so you're all nice and ready when it starts to warm up here in just a few months. Uh, how about book a dive? I bet you uh, a lot of the dive charters would gladly pencil in a weekend for you. If you can uh, commit to a space. And the, Perry, uh, the uh, Great Lakes Dive Charters have been publishing schedules about the last week. Uh, I know one company that runs boats on two lakes just pushed out a bunch today. They're even going to be doing some night diving on the lakes this, this year. And, yeah, night dives are great on the lakes. It, everything's different. If you think you've been there and done that, you know, a nice ice dive, a night dive, ice dive too. I don't know. Have we done a nice night dive? Yeah, well, yes. you do every January. Years. 
New Year's. Every New year. year. Okay, well, I think that's all I've got. Uh, are you guys ready for that time of the show? Sitting down. Yep. Seatbelt fastened. And this one happens to have been given to us from somebody who is in the chat room right now, which kind of narrows it down. Um, I, I did not take Craig. the, yeah, yeah. And then Craig, yeah, Craig didn't do it. We, even though we can blame him for a lot. Uh, so I, I didn't do the edit he recommended because I thought that the original was, was fine. And actually, frankly, I'm lazy. So here we go. A 16-year-old boy came home with a brand-new Ford F-150. His parents look at the truck and ask, where did you get that truck? I bought it today, he says. With what money? Says his mother, arching an eyebrow. They knew how much a new Ford F-150 cost. Well, he says, this one cost me just $15. The father looks at him like he's crazy. Who would sell a truck like that for $15, he says. It's this lady up the street, says the boy. I don't know her name. They just moved in. She saw me ride past on my bike and asked me if I wanted to buy her F-150 for $15. Oh, my goodness, says the mother. Maybe she's mentally ill or has Alzheimer's. John, you'd better go see what's going on. So the boy's father walks up the street to the house where the lady lives and finds her in the yard, calmly planning Petunias. He introduces himself as the father of the boy whom she sold the F-152. He asks her why she did it. Well, she says, two days ago, my husband left on a business trip. Yesterday, I got a phone call from his boss and found out that he really ran off to Hawaii with a secretary and doesn't intend to come back. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry, says the father. But what does this have to do with my son and your truck? Well, this morning, he called and told me he was stranded because he got robbed of his wallet and his credit cards and his cash. He told me to sell his new F-150 and send him the money. So I did. I should be so lucky. <laughs> Ugh. I, I think she may have come back on the uh, best side of that deal. Does he have a rebreather? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that that was the uh, suggestion: was that the uh, a rebreather could be substituted for the F one fifty. I just couldn't figure out how to put it all together. But uh, thank you, guilty parties who know who you are, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet and stay safe. And no F one fifties were hurt in the making of this podcast. Craig, leave. Oops, if I can spell Craig right.